What then shall we say in response to this? That's how the reading starts today. But in response to what? What's the this? Whenever I'm preaching, I try and relate what I'm saying back to what's being talked about in previous weeks and give some kind of context when it was written, who it was written by, who it was written for. But here we have a clear statement from Paul that this passage that we're looking at today is a response to what he said before. And so the first thing we need to do this morning is look back and see what that is that he's responding to. Not just in chapter 8, but look back at everything he's written in this letter, because this is a letter that Paul wrote as one whole. He didn't write chapters. He wrote a letter, and he's saying, in response to what I've written so far, what's our response? So let's look back and see. Well, after some initial greetings, we start chapter 1 by looking at the problem of humanity's rebellion. Chapter 1 looks at how all humanity is trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. Verse 29 says, They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. That's the problem that we start from. And then in chapter 2 he explains that trying to follow the Jewish law, the Torah by being circumcised and that kind of thing, that's never going to rescue humanity. Verse 28 of chapter 2 says, A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. And in saying this, what he's saying is it's not just about what you do following the law. Following the law isn't enough. Following the law won't save you. And then as we move into chapter 3, he starts to give us the good news of what will. Verse 23 reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But this is followed by the wonderful verse 24. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Chapter 4 goes on to describe the promise of salvation as he explains that this means that we are now unified by faith into one family. And as chapter 4 verse 16 says, Abraham, he is the father of us all. We can all be part of the family of Abraham because this promise of salvation is for everyone regardless of who we are, regardless of where we come from, this is a promise for all. We can all be joined to this one family of faith. In chapter 5, Paul compares how sin entered the world through one person in Adam and how salvation came to the world in one person in Christ. 5.18 says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act 
resulted in justification and life for all people. He's showing here that all of salvation can be saved by just one man. As long as that man is Jesus. But Jesus did die on the cross and just one man is able to save all of creation. Chapter 6 starts, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Paul here is talking about the fact that we have been set free from the power of sin. And so we should live accordingly. He talks about the significance of baptism and how it's symbolic of us dying to sin as we go under the water, as Christ died on the cross. And then as we come back up out of the water, we're born anew to a new life of righteousness. We're liberated to live a life loving God, loving our neighbour, not just to carry on as before. Chapter 7 is a tough one to get your head round. In it, Paul looks at the tricky question. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Paul looks at the tricky question of why did God give us the law if it's powerless to save us? The Ten Commandments, the hundreds of rules and regulations that make up the first five books of the Bible. What are they there for if they can't save us? Verse 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. So what Paul's saying here is what the law does is paint a picture of what God is like. And therefore, what we should be like. The law shows us how we should be living our lives. Doing the right thing can't save us. Only Jesus can save us. But it still shows us what we should be aiming at. What we should be trying to do. To live as God made us. Liberated to love God and to love our neighbour. Which brings us on to chapter 8 and the passage that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. We use the term gospel to describe the four biographies of Jesus that we find in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But gospel literally means good news. And you don't get better news than we've found in chapter 8 of Romans. This is real gospel news. We've been looking at some of the wonderful promises that are contained within this chapter and thinking about how they can 
Help us to overcome any barriers and mindsets that prevent us from entering into the fullness of what God has for us. In the first week, Josh talked about how we are free from guilt. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, we find in verse 1. And it's not just that we can be free from guilt, we are free from guilt. What better news, what gooder news is there than that, that we are free from guilt? The past has no hold over us any longer. Then in verses 5 to 13, I looked at the promise that we're alive in the spirit. Verse 10 says, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, the spirit gives life. We can't draw any nearer to God than having God living within us. And that's what he tells us he does. The spirit lives within us. The third promise was that we can be children of God. Verse 14 said, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We aren't freed from this condemnation just to be God's slaves or servants. We're not even saved from this condemnation just to be his friends. We're freed from this condemnation to be his children. He has adopted us into his family as his sons and daughters. There may be those of you who have difficult relationships with your earthly families, but hopefully even you can see the incredible privilege that this promise is the King of Kings, the creator of the whole universe, invites us to call him Abba, Daddy. I've never met Prince Andrew or Prince Edward. I'm sure they could well be quite nice people. But they don't get the honour and respect that they get for who they are. They get it for who their mother is. Well, your dad is the king of kings. Johnny mentioned that there may be people here this morning who question, well, who am I? Who am I? You're a child of the king of kings. That's who you are. Then a fortnight ago, Josh looked at the promise of future hope. As it says in verse 21, hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. In this he talked about the now and not yet nature of the kingdom of God. We have the promise of an unimaginably better future. And that is good news. That is gospel. 
But he also talked about the fact that we need to acknowledge the reality of the suffering in the now. We can't pretend it doesn't happen. We shouldn't pretend that becoming a Christian, everything will go wonderfully well. There'll be no pain or hardship. I'm sure many, even most of you, will have your own personal experiences that tell you that this is true. Some of you may still be going through hard times in one form or another. Because the kingdom of God has broken into this world, but it's not yet fully here. There is still sickness and grief and pain and poverty and abuse. But through all of that, we have this promise, this promise of hope that one day the suffering will end. Then, last week, Tim looked at the promise in verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And he talked about how we might hope that all things work for good, but at some times, we might struggle to believe the reality of this promise. But this is often because we misunderstand what is meant by the word good. We can be tricked into thinking that good means health and wealth and happiness. But Paul defines good as being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. So we have this promise that all things work together. But they're working together to make us conform into the likeness of Jesus. They're working together to draw us nearer to God. And so we come to today's reading. And now where we can see that when it asks, what then shall we say in response to this? Then it's a response to all of this that it requires. And what response do you get when you put all of this together? you get this incredible promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Our theme for the year is draw near. And this ties in so neatly with that. Because if we're drawing nearer to God, we can't be separating from him at the same time. If we're separating from him, we can't be drawing near to him. It's the same thing. This promise that we can't be separated, is the same thing as the draw near. And Paul looks at the two things that might put this at risk, what we do and what others do to us. In verses 33 and 34, Paul considers what we could do to separate ourselves from the love of God. He looks at the problem of sin. Because yes, God is pure and God is holy. And yes, the consequence 
of the fall is that all humanity was isolated from God. But no, our sin can't separate separate us from God anymore. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all of that and he dealt with it. God is our judge. He is the one who sits upon the judgment seat. He is the one who decides if we are guilty or innocent. And he has declared us free from guilt. And if he has declared us free from guilt, then that's an end to it. The consequences of our sins are dealt with. No one else can point a finger. Nothing there can separate us. So if what we do can't separate us, what about what happens to us? Well, Paul addresses that in verse 35 when he goes on to consider trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword. He's not denying these things will happen. He's not saying there'll be no suffering. As Josh said a couple of weeks ago, we have to acknowledge the reality of suffering. That we are in the now and not yet of the kingdom. But, Paul goes on to say in verses 37 to 39, the important thing is that through all of these, none of them can separate us from the love of God. In verse 38 he states, not even death itself can separate us. They may be hard. They may be tough. Nobody wants suffering and persecution. In fact, it's not just possible, it's likely, maybe even probable That's why Paul quoted the psalmist in saying we are considered to be sheep to be slaughtered. But through all of that, we can live in the sure and certain hope that whatever life throws at us, it can't separate us from God. So, in other words, if what we've done can't separate us and what he's done to us can't separate us, nothing can separate us. The message translation puts verse 31 like this. With God on our side, how can we lose? Yes, if God is on our side, how can we lose? These promises are all true. We are free from guilt. We're alive in the spirit. We are children of God with a hope for the future in whom all things are made good. And nothing can separate us. Nothing can stop that. If God is on our side, then we can draw near to him, knowing he will draw near 
to us. So what is our response to this amazing promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God? Well, we need to accept the promises, we need to live in the promises, and we need to step out in those promises. First, we need to accept the promises. God has given us free will to choose. He doesn't force himself upon us. We need to take that small step nearer to him so that he can draw nearer to us. I don't know if anybody backed Tiger Roll in the Grand National yesterday. But the fact that the horse won, you still have to go to the bookies and collect your winnings. They're there waiting for you. You just have to go and get them. These promises are there waiting for you. All you need to do is accept them. Promises that you'll be free from guilt. That you can be a child of God. That you can have a future hope. These promises are there for you. All you need to do is accept them. If there is anyone here this morning who hasn't, think about accepting those promises. Accepting that freedom that Christ is offering. Accepting all that God has for you. And please come and speak to Johnny or myself or one of the prayer team. We'd love to pray for you. Then, having accepted those promises, we need to live in them. And by that, I mean we need to live as if they are true, knowing that they are true. That we are free from guilt And we no longer need to be burdened by guilt or shame or anything that is past. We can put all of that off. Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. There's nothing you can have done. Nothing. No, not even that. It's not enough to separate you from the love of God. So live in that. And live in the promise that we are children. Don't ask yourself, Who am I? You are a child of God. You have the right to come before him. The suffering will continue. We may face tough times. 
but we can live in the sure and certain hope that whatever life throws at us, it can't separate us from that love of God. So if we accept the promises and we live in the promises, then we can step out in those promises. We can step out and take risks. Now for some of you, that may mean selling everything you have and moving off to Africa as a missionary. For others of you, that may be even scarier. It means when somebody asks you at work tomorrow morning what you did at the weekend, you say, I went to church. And you risk the awkward conversation that that might lead to. For some of you, it might mean coming along this evening and thinking about joining the music group. The thing is, if nothing can separate us from the love of God, you can take risks. You can step out. You can try these things. It doesn't matter if it goes well or if it goes badly. It doesn't matter if it goes as you planned or if it goes as he planned. It doesn't matter what happens... Because whatever happens, it can't separate you from the love of God. That is the amazing promise that Paul is trying to get across to us here. That is the message that he is trying to share with us. That is the good news. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's a promise. Amen.